Welcome to the Faith Community Church Podcast, a ministry of Faith Community Church in South Boston, Virginia. This week, we have a special guest with us to encourage you to deepen your faith in Jesus Christ. It is good to be here this morning. I sent Steve a message. I'd run into a little issue. I was going to run a little bit behind. Um, I'm convinced Satan didn't want me here this morning for whatever reason, but um, Murphy's Law has been full in effect this morning. If it could go wrong, it has. And I see there's some parents here who got little ones. I'm sure you'll understand what I'm, I'm getting at. Uh, and if you've ever been a parent, you'll understand this, even if yours have grown. Uh, I don't know what it is about Sunday morning, but I, it, they just they turn into monsters, it seems like. No socks are right. No pants are right, you know. Uh, underwear, none of us right, you know. We got a, we got a fuss. We had a, a long discussion about underwear this morning. I'm like, nobody's even going to see them. Who cares, you know? Uh, who cares if it's Sonic or Pokemon? Just put them on, you know. Um, but anyway, it is what it is. We're here, and, and I'm, I believe uh, Satan must have some demons that ride around, too, on Sunday morning. Because I had no sooner left the house, somebody pulled out in front of me. Never seen this car. Now, I don't know if y'all know where Ellis Creek is, okay? But nothing happens in Ellis Creek and everybody else doesn't know about it. I've never seen this car before, so I'm going to watch to see if I ever see it again. They could not have gone any slower had they been in reverse, okay? <laughs> but, and in the middle of the road too. So, anyway, been a fun morning, but we're here, right? So, uh, this morning, um, we're going to talk about uh, some interesting questions, right? Um, if you do have your Bibles, please turn with me. We're going to be in the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 7. <clears throat> and we'll be in verses 36 through 50. Um, but let me ask you this. And don't point, okay, because one of these people may be here this morning. All right, we don't want to do that. Um, but have you ever known somebody who liked to, as my dad used to refer to, like to stir the pot? Just love to get folks worked up. Um, you know, uh, I have worked with some people like that, and at times I have been that person, right? Uh, that you just, you've got to stir something up, right? Um, to an extent, you know, Jesus was like that. You know, Jesus came here, he liked to ask questions, he liked to do things that got a reaction. I don't know if any of y'all have been watching um, the series The Chosen. But I, I, I stumbled on that maybe about a year ago and watching it. And uh, we're kind of catching up on it because they're doing season three now, but we're trying to get through the first two seasons refresh again. But I love how some of the stuff he does. Now, some of it is for dramatic effect and, and for the show, we get it. But a lot of it, they're sticking with the Gospels itself. But it's amazing how some of the stuff they, they do, that he does, you know, some of the disciples and stuff are like, do we have to do something and get uh, attention or draw attention to ourselves? And, and that was kind of his thing throughout the show so far has been, well, that's why I'm here, right? And as we read the scriptures, we see the same thing. It wasn't flying under the radar. When his time had come, it was time for that, that ministry to start. It was about stirring things up. It was about shaking things up. So that's kind of what we're looking at this morning. So the title of this morning's message, message is, Do You See This Woman? So like I said, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke 7, uh, starting in verse 36. And that says, Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And when a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, 
If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her, tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Do you see this woman? Probably... Uh, one of Jesus' most poignant questions in, in Scripture. Well, we just talked about it a little bit, but really, have you ever stopped and, and thought or realized how Christ could skewer somebody with a simple question? When we read throughout the Gospels, there's time and time again that He can ask somebody a question, and it just cuts them right to, to their heart, Right? It gets right to the heart of the matter, the problems that they had in their lives, right? Uh, could plumb to the depths of their hearts and could pry loose their most hidden thoughts. The same still happens to us, right? Um, but he asked this question to a Pharisee named Simon. Now, if you know anything about the Pharisees, most of them had a little bit of this holier-than-thou attitude, Right? And we can probably all relate because we've probably had some kind of encounter with someone that may be similar. At times it may have been us, right? Um, that we may say, well, we're bad folks, we're sinners, but we're not as bad as that person, right? They're a lot worse than we are. Um, but this particular Pharisee, like I said, he was filled with self-righteousness and he just kind of had this um, air about him, if you will. Uh, but he had invited Christ into his home, going to have a dinner party, if you will. Uh, and it was more than just a time of getting together to, to uh, spend time learning from Christ. His real purpose was determining whether or not Jesus was legitimate. Trying to find out something about him. Was he really a holy man? Was he a prophet? Was he really the Messiah? Um, he wanted an up-and-close personal encounter to test these hypotheses he may have or test these assumptions he had to see, um, was he really what people were saying about him? Was he going to trip him up in his words? Was he going to catch him in some kind of uh, legal loophole, if you will? Uh, but his plans go sideways because during this dinner party, some invited guest shows up. Now, she shows up and she's crashing the party, right? Because this wasn't somebody that he would have been thrilled to have in his house. It wasn't as if this was some high religious leader. It wasn't as if this was some quote-unquote important person in the community. This was somebody 
who was one of those type of people, right? One of those uh, people with a reputation, a stigma, a past, right? Uh, looking at the scripture that we have, we could probably tell she was probably uh, had one of those less than admirable professions, right? She, she was not one of the folks that made her money in what we would consider an honest way, right? But this was a woman whose life had been transformed by Christ uh, and had been transformed by his teachings. But her showing up and being involved or having anything to do with Christ was totally inappropriate. You think about it, in, that, in their times, a lot of the religious leaders, it was as if, it, if you screwed up and you had messed up, there were no second chances. You were ruined, you were damaged goods, right? Uh, for somebody like this to make a uh, total transformation in their life and try to live like they were supposed to be, they would about have to go somewhere that nobody knew who they were because the folks that were there would always hold that past against them. Does that sound kind of familiar? We see a lot of that. We may have experienced that even in our lives today, right? It's amazing places that you go, and it may not be that you've done anything wrong, but th think about it. For those of you as you get older, if you deal with folks who were elders when you were young, do they still treat you kind of like you're still a kid, Right? It's amazing some of the places I can go and some of those folks that I can remember that were older when I was little, they still look at me like sometimes like I'm that little seven-year-old boy, right? Um, and I still have one lady at one church. Every time I go there, she has to remind me of when I was Superman for Halloween. <laughs> Big bad Superman was scared of her golden retriever. Needless to say, we had a 94 Ford Explorer. I ran for that Explorer. I became a Flash instead of Superman. I jumped in the back seat and slid across the seat. The problem was my costume didn't. My butt split right out of it, right? They duct taped and scotch taped my tail back together. But she has to remind me of that every time in front of everybody, right? So I go from being uh, a big guy to some little kid running from a dog with split pants dressed as Superman, right? So, you know, sometimes you can't get away from some of your past stuff. Um, but this is what this woman was experiencing. Even though her life had been transformed, she was still being judged because of her past. And let's be honest. We still have a tendency to do that today, even within the church, don't we? We may have some folks that their lives have been transformed, that they want to be a follower of Christ, but we still kind of hold that in the back of our minds, don't we? You know, I think one of the toughest things I know for me uh, when it comes to being a Christian, you know, we're taught to forgive, right? How difficult is that? How difficult is it for us to really forgive? Because we may say we forgive somebody, but here's the problem. I can't remember where I put my cell phone and my car keys. But I can remember every time somebody has done something wrong against me. And I'm willing to say you probably are the same way. So we may say we forgive but rarely do we forget. And sometimes we hold that stuff against people. You think about it. And uh, if we've had somebody, let's say we, if we've had somebody do, that's done us wrong or we feel they've done us wrong. We could go years without having any problem with that person. But if they come around, we can start catching our temperature going up, right? I know I do. There's some folks that I have dealt with that sometimes I just soon not have to be around, right? 
and you have to check yourself because you get around them and you start thinking about all that stuff. And all that is is Satan trying to get you riled up, right? It's hard to live a life uh, for Christ and, and have a Christ-like mindset if you're constantly holding people's past against them, right? Because you think about it. If Christ was like that, you and I would be in trouble because we want forgiveness, right? We know we've sinned. We know we've fallen short. But if we want true forgiveness, then that means it's forgotten. That's one of the most amazing things when it comes to God. The fact that He is all-powerful. He is just in control of everything. But all of our sins, all of our discretions, when it comes to Christ's blood, covering all that, He can't remember any of it. You know what I'm saying? It goes out the window. It's not held against us. I mean, it's amazing when we really think about it. But we look at this lady here. She had been transformed by Christ. It had changed her life. But everybody else was still holding it against her. Simon, this Pharisee, was appalled that she would show up. Her behavior was appalling. It was embarrassing because she is you know, crying and pouring perfume all over his feet and drying it with her hair now. Think about the, that day and age, right? They didn't wear normal shoes like what we would think. It was open shoes. So you, you come in from those streets, your feet are dusty, they're dirty. That was the routine. You'd wash their feet, right? I don't know how many of y'all today, as you can tell, I don't have enough hair to dry somebody's feet off, right? I can dry a toe. That'd be about all I can do. But you think about it. For those of you who got longer hair, would you want to rub it on anybody's feet today? Absolutely not, right? Feet are just one of them nasty things, right? Uh, they're cute when they're babies, and then they start walking on them, and they ain't cute no more, right? You know? uh, and it's amazing how little kids can create a stink. I, I ain't never figured it out. But, um, but you think about it. She was so moved by this that she is washing his feet, drying it with her hair, but he's embarrassed by this. He's appalled, and we're talking about Simon. He's appalled by it because she has thrown herself at his feet. Crying over them, doing all this stuff, just making a, a commotion, if you will. And we sit there and we say, well, why would he be embarrassed about this? But let's kind of picture it happening to us in real world terms. Let's say you have a group of, a group of you here in the church, for example, and you've gone somewhere. You've gone over to meet Coretta or something, you're having dinner, and somebody walks in that's known to live a less than Christ-like life, Okay? You've recently seen them in the paper because they got arrested for whatever. They just, they're not the best people in the world. And they come up and they start talking to you by name. I'm going to pick on Steve since he's here. They start talking, hey, Steve, you know, keep talking like y'all are the best buddies, right? It might be a little bit embarrassing, right? If one of the county's biggest crack dealers started walking in and talking to Steve, they're like, mm, who's Steve doing on the side? He's not doing it, y'all. Don't, don't, don't. But you think about it, if something like that were to happen to us, we, we might be a little bit embarrassed, wouldn't we? You know, sometimes I, I had, with, with my former job, people walk up and they, they'll start talking to me. And my first question is, did I arrest you? You know, because I forget, they put us in this magazine stuff all the time and, and, and people see us and they, they couldn't put our names and faces together. They'll walk up talking to you and I've never met them. Or if I have, I don't remember meeting them. And it's like, mm, should I know you, Right. But you think about it, if something like that were to happen to us, we'd probably be a little embarrassed by it, wouldn't we? It might catch us off guard. But look at Jesus. 
Instead of being embarrassed by this sinner, right? This woman with a past, crying all over his feet and doing all this. He received her with joy. To him, her behavior was beautiful. But it also made up for the negligence on Simon's part. So Simon had invited Christ into his home for this meal, but he had neglected to really welcome him into the home. It's important for us to remember that inviting is something that you do. But welcoming is an act that we carry out. It's something that's in our heart and it's a desire that we express. Let me put it in real world terms for you. We recently gotten through Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. I'm sure most, if not all of you, had family members come over, right? Right? This is interactive. I won't throw nothing at you. Um, now, let's just be real for a minute. Don't name names. I don't need to know the family member names. There are some family members we really like to be around. There may be some not so much, right? We, we could probably all think of at least one, right? Uh, it, it doesn't matter what it is. They've always got to have something to fuss about or whatever it is, right? But you think about it. The one you really like, let's say you've got that cousin you really like hanging out with him. Man, you welcome him into the home. Good to see him. Glad you're here. Let's go talk for a little bit. That one that you just invited, it's like, hey, how you doing? I'll be glad when you leave. Yeah. It's an act to welcome them in, right? To make them actually feel like they're part of it. It's just a motion if you, to invite them, right? Um, Simon knows or knew how to invite. He just had no clue how to welcome Christ into his house, into his life. Because it turns out that in order to really welcome somebody, it requires a lot of love, requires a lot of humility, it requires openness of heart. If you're going to invite Christ into your home, into your life, it requires those things. It takes gratitude, knowing that you have been forgiven of much. So you look at this lady. She didn't live a good life, right? She was tied up in practices and activities and jobs that were less than desirable, right? They were sinful. She'd been saved from all that. She realized what she had been saved from. And it led to that gratitude that Simon seemed to lack. And holier than thou, that little self-righteous air had kind of placed a blockade between really realizing and understanding what it meant to be saved from sin. Simon was lacking in both of those departments. That woman, though, like I said, she knew how much she had been forgiven. She loves much and was brilliant at welcoming. Though she wasn't even on the guest list, she welcomed Christ lavishly. And though he was not the host, Christ welcomed her in kind. Simon, on the other hand, he was disgusted and he was outraged. She had busted up his party, right? But his sentiments are aimed more at Christ than the woman. Now this lady had come into the house. Now you imagine, you're having a dinner party with a couple of friends over at your house and all of a sudden somebody just comes randomly walking in your house. 
Now, I don't know about y'all, but in Ellis Creek, that would not go over too well, okay? We have things we call Remington 870s. It's a shotgun, okay? If you come walking into somebody's house uninvited, you're probably going to see those, okay? But you imagine, okay, if you were having a dinner party and somebody randomly just come walking into your house, would you be more upset at the person that you had invited to dinner or the person who comes walking in? Probably say we'd be mad at the folks who come walking in uninvited, right? But Simon's anger was directed more at Christ because he welcomed this woman. He didn't turn her away and say, get away from my feet, get out of there, you know? How dare you mess up this party, right? And he says to himself, if this man were any kind of prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him. That she is a sinner. Now that statement to me shows just how holier than thou he was. Does he know who this woman is? That she is a sinner? Have y'all ever seen a sinner? Have you looked in the mirror, right? You know, we have a tendency that we put certain sins on a scale, right? Well, I might be a liar, but at least I'm not a thief, right? That's worse, right? Or I might be a liar, but at least I never killed anybody, right? We might look at it differently. The justice system might look at it in different terms. But God doesn't. If you look in Revelation and it talks about the types of people who will be in hell, it lists a lot of dregs of society, if you will. It goes through this list and it talks about idolaters and murderers and adulterers and blah, 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 goes through all this, right? And then at the end it goes, and all other liars. Guess what? Apart from Jesus, that put each and every one of us in there, right? Because I'm willing to bet every one of us has told a lie at some point, right? And if you say you didn't, you just told your first one, right? That's the old joke, right? <clears throat> Husbands, I know you've told a lie. Because you might have a wife that can really cook, but not everything she's cooked has always been good. It's just the truth, right? I love my wife. She gets on my nerves some days. But there are some things she cannot cook. Chicken pot pie is one of them. Since we have been married, she has tried it six different times, and every time somebody in the house has gotten sick, it is off the menu. I told her I never want to see it again. If it's not Marie Callender, it better not show up. Okay? She did it one time, and I asked her, I said, Are you sure this thing is cooked? Yeah. I said, Well, the chicken's pink, and it shouldn't be. You know? But there have been things that she fixes, and she asked me, well, do you like it? Sure. I'm going to be eating these sandwiches the rest of the week. You know, you just, you don't want to hurt her feelings, right? But you know what? She does the same thing, and wives have done the same thing when they tell you you're just as good looking now as you were when they first met you. We know that's a lie, but we like to hear it anyway, okay? <laughs> All right? So, it's the same thing with, does this dress make me look fat? No man in his right mind is going to say, yeah, you look right chunky in it. Because the sofa does not sleep well, okay? So, but you think about it in all seriousness. We joke about stuff like that, right? 
But how many times have we told a lie of some type? Right? And we try to justify it. Well, you know, I did it to keep from hurting feelings or whatever it is, right? You know, I'll be honest, there were times we had to go talk to folks who had lost loved ones, right? In car accidents or something like that. And inevitably, they, well, did they suffer? Well, I have no clue. You know, you have absolutely no clue. But is that really something you, you know, you think about it. Is that something you'd really want to tell a family member, you know? But we say stuff like that, and we say, well, we'll justify it. It's still a lie, right? It's still a lie. But you think about it. When it lists all those people that will be in hell and all other liars, buddy, that puts us in there, right? So we can try to justify and say, well, we're not as bad as others, but in God's eyes, it's always the same, right? But Simon makes this comment, if he knew what kind of woman that she was a sinner, you know, that was touching him. And Jesus wakes Simon up with a simple yet very difficult question. He said, Simon, do you see this woman? Do you see this woman? Simon doesn't. And let's be honest, most of us may not either. Or we wouldn't see, we might see her as Simon does, through a lens of disdain, through a lens of maybe some judgment, right? That we would look at them as being a problem in society, of being less than some other people. It's always hard to see clearly when we have forgotten just how much we've been forgiven. Now, you think about this, this particular um, lady here. She was living a life that was a, uh, on the fast track of sin, going straight to hell and all this stuff. And Christ had totally transformed her life. And she was grateful for it. In many ways, this is a story of hospitality. But sadly, many of us, we don't really have a clue about what biblical hospitality is. If, we were to, if, if I was to do a poll and ask you, what does hospitality mean to you? Probably in most people's minds, we would probably have the idea of hospitality kind of in a Simon complex a little bit. It's an idea of welcoming people, other, but typically you think about it. If you invite people over, a lot of things you see today, most people, don't they operate with some kind of hidden agenda? It's almost like they do nice things to see how it may benefit them, right? Um, <coughs> it amazes me, you see people... And if I were to say the word politician, I'm almost willing to bet most of us have a negative connotation, don't we? We don't think of it in the most positive light, do we? But it's amazing this time of year how many people will trip over themselves dealing with politicians, instead of sometimes telling them what they really think, right? But they do that because they're like, well, if I'm nice to them, maybe I can get what I want, right? They have a hidden agenda. Simon had a hidden agenda, right? He wanted to impress he wanted to be entertained, right? He wanted to gain something. You know, and we do the same thing. We want to upgrade our social status. Would you rather hang out with a group of people who are widely known and influential or a bunch of folks that nobody has a clue who they are? Right? This is kind of what Simon had when he, if he would, you know, thinking about hospitality, Right? We want, he wanted folks to think well of him. He didn't want to risk his reputation hanging out with this sinful woman. Some theologians, they think, though, 
that the chief attribute of God, the one that contains all of His just qualities, including justice, love, and mercy, is hospitality. Because God invites the types of people that can never pay Him back. He doesn't welcome people with the thoughts of, I'm going to get something from them. We can't do anything for God. That's what true hospitality is, is when you are welcoming to people who can't do anything for you, but you still welcome them and you still love them regardless of what they've done or what they might could do. Simon didn't want this woman in his house because she couldn't do anything for him. He thought spending time with Jesus might do something for him because he was, he was the buzz of conversation, right? And if people are talking about him, they might talk about the fact that he was at my house, and so then they'll start talking about me. This woman couldn't do anything for him, but God doesn't invite people who can do for, anything for him because we can't. He invites people who can never pay him back. It's crazy but when we really think about it. Uh, with the Western mindset of hospitality is to invite friends over for three hours or so when biblical hospitality is to beg strangers to stay one more night. If you think about it in, in Christ's time, and even today in those parts of the world, they will invite or welcome strangers into their homes and feed them and things like that. You, you, we read about that in Scripture, about they would show up and that was the mindset of feeding them, right? Kind of like the southern grandma, right? You didn't ever go to grandma's house and she didn't feed you, right? You could have just eaten, but you, you looked emaciated. Even though you weighed 500 pounds, you, you look emaciated. I've got to fix you something, right? That's probably some of our problems, the reasons we look the way we do. But that was their mindset. We're going to bring you in. We're going to feed you. We're going to welcome you. Divine hospitality is to pursue enemies. Now, I want you to think about this. Divine hospitality is to pursue enemies so that after we have died, we get to spend eternity with them. Now, you think about that. That's what divine hospitality is. To reach out to people who don't like us who don't like anything to do with us or what we believe as Christians, and to win them over, that they become sons and daughters in Christ so that when we die, we get to spend forever with them. You think about the most annoying person in your life and ask yourself, do I have a problem spending eternity in heaven with them? You know, I believe there's, there's going to be a lot of disappointed folks uh, on Judgment Day when they get there and they realize, I don't know if I really want to be around this person. You know, sometimes I think we have this mentality, and that, now don't get me wrong, I'm not saying faith community, okay? But we have a problem in America with a lot of our churches. They've not, they're not churches anymore. They've become country clubs, right? We have to realize that if we are going to be a body of believers, we have got to reach out to any and everybody. Not people who just look like us, who think like us, 
Don't get me wrong. If everybody looked and thought just like I did, man, heaven would be a wonderful place, wouldn't it? It wouldn't be a room for all them cows. Um, but there's going to be people there who don't look like us, who don't think like us here on earth, right? Jesus died for each and every one of us. Because if we think about it and we look at it, we can't say, well, I'm the perfect Christian. Because guess what? We're all messed up. We can say what we want, but at the end of the day, we're all messed up freaks, right? We've all done something wrong. We've all got something that makes us a horrendous person. We hear it a lot at funerals, they were a good person. Well, there are no good people. Apart from Jesus Christ, there are no good people. We're all liars. We've all done something wrong, right? We're all scarred, dirty, nasty, and just ugly. Let's just be frank. But he died for everybody. That is what divine hospitality is about. To reach out to people that you don't like, who don't like you, so that you can spend eternity with them, right? Simon's nickname, and this is interesting, when we look at Simon, this Pharisee, his nickname was Leper. So apparently that leads us to believe that at one point in his life, he suffered from that disease, right? So, lepers were not the kind of people most folks wanted to spend time around, right? They avoided them. People would yell, unclean, unclean, you know, run and stuff like that. Didn't want anything to do with them, right? So Simon had experienced this. He was an outcast. Nobody wanted anything to do with him. But obviously being a Pharisee, that tells us that at some point he was healed, right? If he's having his dinner party, things had changed for him. So he should have known the joy and the relief of being restored, and being made whole. The sweetness of that homecoming, if you will, and being welcomed back, but somehow he had forgotten it all. We're not immune from that. The same thing can happen to us. That we may have been lost in our sins, our transgressions, we found Christ and we were made whole. And over time, maybe we've forgotten about that. The human ego is a, is a dangerous thing because it can get in, our, in, in the way of a lot of things. It can make us feel like we're more important than we really are, right? Scripture tells us, you know, pride comes before the fall, right? Sometimes we have to put that ego in check. And this may seem far-fetched to some of us, except it's likely that the same or a version similar to this story has played out in our own lives. It's easy for us to forget where we've come from sometimes. Y'all have probably heard the expression, get above your raisins, Right? It can happen to us. Just because we're Christians doesn't make us nice, right? But it's important that we realize that we've all been lost at some point. We've been lost in our life and it's important for us to see those people that are in the same position that we were in and help to bring them back to Christ, which we, we don't do it a lot. You know, we hear a lot in our churches about reaching the lost and getting out and doing things. And I think a lot of times we think of we send missionaries somewhere. We do these mission trips, and I have nothing against those. <clears throat> but it's amazing to me the people who will travel across the world to tell others about Jesus Christ, but they won't cross the street and tell their neighbor about Jesus Christ. And like I said, don't get me wrong, doing those mission trips are great, but we have people right here at home that need to do it. 
They need to hear that message just as well. But we're held back by fear. It's like we're scared of doing something, getting out of that comfort zone. Like I said, Satan is scared of a church who wants to really tell people about Jesus Christ. And he will do anything and everything to try to get people out of their comfort zone. It's amazing. We will talk about anything and everything to people. And we love to talk about bad news, right? That travels fast. But you think about it. Anybody in here a grandparent? I know we got some. There we go. I'm willing to bet you have a bunch of pictures on your phone, don't you? I would say you, it's a safe bet. you like mama. You've probably shown a lot of people those pictures, haven't you? You know, we love to brag about stuff like that, right? But you think about it. We love to talk about stuff like that. For us guys, especially if you're a hunter or something, if you get a nice deal, everybody's going to know about it, right? It gets a little bigger every time, you know. We love to talk about stuff like that. But how difficult is it when you go to tell somebody about Jesus Christ? You can think up every excuse under the sun why you shouldn't do it. We allow fear to hold us back. We allow the excuse of busyness to hold us back, right? Who in here doesn't have a busy schedule? There are a lot of times we have to be multiple places at the same time, right? We're constantly being asked to do, 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 right? If we say we don't have time to share uh, our testimony or tell people about Jesus Christ. We don't have time to pray. We don't have time to, to do a devotional or read scripture. Here's what we're really saying. We just don't have time for God. Because all of us are busy, but if we enjoy doing something, we will find time for it. Case in point, do I have any folks in here that are hunters? Okay, I'm glad I'm not the only one. All right. I love to be in the woods. I've got a lot of stuff stretching me all over the place, right? Just like everybody else. I am going to find time to be in the woods because it's important to me, right? Maybe the same thing for folks that, you know, like to do balls, ball games and stuff like that. You know, they'll find time to do it, right? If it's important to us, we make time for it. So if we say we just don't have time, we're too busy, we're simply just saying we don't have time for God. It's not a priority. <clears throat> the only way that we can become effective servants for Christ and to really do our job and to see these people just like this lady this morning is that we have to allow Him, being God, to have control of our schedules and our calendars. We don't tell God when we have time for Him, Right? He ought to be telling us when we're going to be doing stuff, right? We look at this passage in Luke, though, and it kind of ends abruptly. Jesus declares this woman's sins forgiven, just like that. They're done. They're forgiven. Don't worry about them. The debt's been erased. And everyone is muttering about that, talking about well, what kind of person is this that can even forgive sins? And Jesus then utters a final benediction out loud, but really just for her. He tells her, he said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, that's nice. Except where will, where will a person like that go? Go in peace. We've talked about it. all those folks in that community holding all that stuff against her, judging her. Where can a man or a woman like that today who is still figuring out how to walk in Christ 
and talk and dress and behave like a Christian, go in peace. The logical Sunday school answer would be they ought to be able to go to the church, right? Do you know how many people, if you talk to them as to why they don't go to church, a lot of people tell you because they don't feel like they're accepted. You know how sad that is? And folks, I can share a real-world example with you on this. There is a, a, a young uh, family in, in, um, in an area not far from where I grew up. Boy did not have the greatest home life. Walked to church one morning wearing a pair of jeans and a red polo. Now, y'all will see I'm dressed in a suit, okay? My dad always told me I was going to wear a suit. I think I look nice in a suit, so I'm going to wear one, right? You know, and there are a lot of people that I have gone to different churches and they say, well, I can't believe the preacher don't dress up. I can't believe this person don't dress up. I'm going to tell you now, as long as you covered, personally, I don't care what you come to church in, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I believe you ought to dress as nicely as you can. But at the end of the day, you vow. As long as you ain't got a bunch of Looney Tunes smoking dope, I'm good with it, right? Uh, and, and like I said, covered, you know. Wear your Pokemon draws and come on. That's what I tried to tell my boy this morning. Just put them on, let's go. But this young man walked to church wearing a pair of uh, jeans and, and a red polo. I, nothing wrong with that, right? For all we know, that's the best he had. Somebody made a comment to him after the church about they couldn't believe that that's what he would wear to church. Never showed up again. Folks, do y'all see how stupid that is? Something like that to get between somebody and come into church to be with other Christians. Now, that doesn't happen at every church. That, that person may have said something that they really didn't mean it that way. It just come out really bad. I don't know, right? It doesn't sound good. But we think about it. If that's the mentality that people who are lost think of when they think of a church... Is it any mystery why most of our churches are not having folks beating the doors down? Well, I don't want to go down there if they're just going to judge me, right? But here's the problem. We get that Simon complex. We get that little holier-than-thou attitude on some of the dumbest things, right? Who cares what they're wearing? Who cares if they, you know, show up on time? Who cares? Whatever. If they put anything in the offering plate or not, you know, that's between them and the Lord, right? What matters is that they're here. If we as a church really want to get serious about reaching people, we have got to get serious about loving people. And we have got to get serious about seeing these people. Because there are a whole lot of people in our community, there are a whole lot of people who... They might know the name Jesus in the sense that they can use it in vain, right? But they don't know Jesus. And if they come to know Him, they're not going to have all the answers. You think of it when you made a profession of faith. Did you know all the answers? Did you know how to do stuff? You know, one of our biggest problems as a church is we like to get folks in the door. We like to dunk them and get them baptized and get them on the membership roll, and then that's it. It's like we just drop them. We leave, let's figure it out on your own. 
Folks, we've been called to make disciples, but a lot of folks leave out that last part of the Great Commission. We're to teach them. We're to teach them. That doesn't mean we have all the answers, but we're supposed to be a, a guide, if you will, right? Supposed to have something to do with them, not just drop them off, if you will. So where can a man or a woman like that in today's world go in peace? Like I said, the Sunday school answer is it ought to be the church, and that's absolutely right. It ought to be the church. But we've got to work to make sure that the church really is a place that they feel like they can go, that they can be welcomed. They ought to feel like they are welcome as part of our home, part of our family, if you will. But we have to take the time to see them. See them for where they are, where they've been, but more importantly, where they're going as Christians. And keep in mind, too, that just because they've got a past, we've got one as well. And oftentimes, not only do we have a past, but we still have a tendency to step in some mess along the way, don't we? None of us are perfect. So my question to you this morning, do you see this woman? Do you see this man that are in similar situations around you? Do you take the time to reach out to them, to tell them about Christ? It's not an easy task. I will tell you, from a personal experience, we can think of so many things. Don't have time, we got things I need to do. Don't know this person, they may not like it, whatever. We can talk ourselves out of it. But we have been given a job to tell people about Jesus Christ. Just like that good news of showing them about our grandkids and all the good, exciting things, this is the best news that's ever happened to us. Why are we so quiet about it? America needs the church to get loud, to start telling people about Jesus Christ. Because there are a lot of people in our communities and around this country who do not know him. None of us know when this time is going in, when he's going to come back. We don't know any of that. But when that day happens, then it's too late, right? Never pass up an opportunity to tell somebody about Christ because that may be their only opportunity, right? Don't let it slip through your hands. We're going to have our closing song here, I believe. Is that correct? All right, so while you're coming up, uh, if y'all will, while he's doing that, let's take his time to just have a, a brief word of prayer. Dear Grace and Father, we thank you for this morning that you've allowed us to be here. Lord, we, we know it's raining outside and it's a little bit dreary, but all that aside, we know that we have been blessed to be here in your house this morning to join together as brothers and sisters in Christ to study your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us as we leave here in a little bit and we go about our daily routines. We don't know what we're going to face we don't know what may come our way this week, but we do know this. You are with us each and every day, each and every step of the way. You are going to give us opportunities to stand firm for you, to stand up for your kingdom, to be a witness, a light in someone's life. Help us to take advantage of those opportunities, to never be ashamed of the gospel, and to do what you have called us to do. To not only make disciples, but to teach them. 
Lord, we love you and we thank you for all that you have done. We pray that you will continue to be with us throughout the remainder of the service as we come to you now in song. We pray that it would be a time of worship as well and that we would all be moved closer to you. And then when we leave here this morning, we have a new energy and a new zeal for you. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about Faith Community Church, you can find us online at fccsobo.org or on our Facebook page by searching Faith Community Church. As always, God loves you, we love you, and we hope you have a wonderful week.